Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Whoever is careless with the truth in small matters cannot be trusted with important matters. This is a quote from Albert Einstein. And we will find out in just a moment why today's guest chose to use it as an introduction to his work. Hello, everyone. I'm Pamela Brewer, welcoming you to this edition of Mind Talk. I'm very pleased to introduce to you today's guest, Dr. Justin Frank, who is an author and practices and teaches psychoanalysis in Washington, D.C. But today we're here to talk about not only his expertise as an author, uh, but also a his recent book, Trump on the Couch, Inside the Mind of the President. Now, Justin Frank's name may be familiar to you. He is author of the New York Times bestseller, Bush on the Couch, also authored Obama on the Couch. Uh, Dr. Frank, you keep writing about presidents. I do. I'm very interested in uh, the psychology of presidents and very few. Uh, it's amazing how little uh, job review uh, is done for hiring a president, at least the psychology. There's more psychological evaluation of people who are hired for regular jobs all over the place, from fast food to everywhere. And we hire the most important person without really knowing that much about their psychology. We watch their debates and news programs. We don't really think about them uh, enough. Well, let me ask you why. You, you, you heard me uh, just quote from... Uh, Trump on the counts, yes. your quote from Albert Einstein. Why did you open up the book with that quote? Well, I've opened up the book with that quote because uh, Trump is a uh, pathological liar who um, lies automatically, and he's been doing it since he was a little boy. And uh, he used to do it to impress people and to make himself seem more important than he was. And he also lied because he couldn't uh, read very well or understand things in school, so he pretended to know more and be stronger and be smarter than everybody else. So he was lying to others and lying to himself. But the reason I open with that is that, that Trump's pathological lying, or his lying, is really second nature. It does not... Um, It's just automatic, so he can't help lying. And uh, what I discovered in my work on his background was that the original liars in Trump's life were his parents. They lied to him, his mother especially, about telling him she loved him and yet never held him or cuddled him. And so a lot of times liars uh, originate as liars when they are repeating things that they felt they got from their parents, trying to reverse them and becoming like their parents. So uh, he has a long history of that. So I open with that because it's impossible to know uh, what he believes. Does he know? The other thing is, what? Does he know what he knows? Yeah. I think he knows what he believes, but it has nothing to do with what he says. 
Okay. I think he knows, he believes that the world is a dangerous place, that you have to really take care of yourself, that, that nobody else will help you, and that it's a dog-eat-dog life. So you should do anything you can to get ahead. He also believes that there's no such thing as compromise, but there's only winning and losing. So those are beliefs. Now, they're not beliefs that we consider beliefs when we talk about freedom or democracy or the rights of man or equal pay or any of these things. They're beliefs about world peace. There's none of that. It's really uh, personal beliefs about the world being a dangerous place and that you have to do anything to get, get ahead. Let me ask you this. Um, you, you heard me uh, describe you as an analyst. Yeah. Uh, you have patients you work with, uh, but Trump has never been your patient. So how do you get to write a book about his mind? Well, uh, there's a technique called applied psychoanalysis, which is actually uh, <clears throat> looking at psychoanalytic principles and applying them to people that you know about in depth. And I, while I can never get him in my office, I've, uh, believe it or not, read virtually every tweet, uh, looked at all the video, read biographies of him, and also read all of his books and uh, watched him on uh, various uh, programs. So I've really studied his behavior and looked at his past as best I could. And with that kind of in-depth uh, approach, uh, one can start to look for patterns, unconscious and conscious, in his behavior, in his ways of thinking, and really uh, get to know the person pretty well. And I felt that I did that very successfully with Bush and Obama. What makes it more difficult with Trump is that there's not a really good biography of him. There's very little known about his mother and his early childhood, so I had to do a lot of extra digging for that. But I really feel that, that applied psychoanalysis is a technique used by Freud. It was uh, when he analyzed historical figures. It was a technique used by the CIA. It still is uh, to analyze foreign uh, leaders uh, that they can't get in the consulting room. So it's a, it's a fairly accepted uh, technique. It's not like you know, responding to a speech and making a huge uh, <clears throat> pontificated statement about uh, all of the person's psychology. That's what pundits do on TV, and that's what people do, you know, used to be called shooting from the hip. This is not that at all. Um, let me ask you. I don't know you, if that answers. It absolutely answers it, and I appreciate that, um, because you and I both know that there are people who um, still say, well, that's not okay to do, and then, of right. course, there are people who say that absolutely is the only thing you can do in a situation like this. Right. I'm one of those. There you go. <laughs> I, I was struck by a quote from Donald Trump that opened up your chapter on rivals. And you quote Trump as saying, I love getting even. I get screwed all the time. And there's more to that quote. But what an interesting concept for a president of a uh, free world to say, I love getting even, I get screwed all the time. Well, this is a person who is always embattled. He, as I said earlier, he seems that he feels that the world is really a dangerous place, that people are out to get him. He wrote in The Art of the Comeback a few different things. 
that book uh, about uh, the world is like a jungle, everybody's out to get you, very paranoid, very suspicious. And I think that he learned a lot of that from his father, uh, who was a very ruthless uh, businessman and a tyrant at home. So he felt somewhat suspicious of his own father, so he used to go behind his father's back and be delinquent behind his father's back, and then his father would discover what he was doing and then punish him severely, eventually sending him off to uh, military school when he was an early teenager. So he really feels that uh, he is constantly embattled and that everybody's at him. And you can see that as the groundwork for his current behavior where he calls everything fake news, where everybody's out to get him. He's, he's consistent about that. But the second thing about it is getting even. And that is that any kind of slight that he feels, he compulsively has to strike back no matter what. And it doesn't matter what the slight is. So what's so amazing is he can be uh, criticized by somebody uh in the media or somebody in a very substantial way, or he can be just made fun of on a TV show, and it doesn't matter which is which. Is which. He just has to attack back. And so he really uh, is constantly on the lookout for attack, and that's made him uh, in some ways very strong and some ways thin-skinned. He's very strong because he does see every possible nuance when somebody's out to get him and somebody's uh, got an aggressive motive behind them. At the same time, he is chronically uh, paranoid and isolated and doesn't trust people. Uh, so it's a problem. Uh, it's a big problem. Um, yes. Dr. <laughs> Dr. Frank, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, I want you to talk about his knife collection and what is significant about that. Folks, this is Pamela Brewer. You're listening to Mind Talk. I'm having a conversation with Dr. Justin A. Frank, author of Trump on the Couch, Inside the Mind of a President. We'll be right back. Dr. Frank, you talk about Trump's knife collection. Why is that important? What significance do you attach to that? Well, when he was uh, about 10 or 11, he used to sneak into Manhattan. His father said he could not, was not allowed to go into Manhattan uh, from where he lived in uh, Queens. And, and, um, and he watched, uh, saw the show West Side Story on Broadway and was very struck by the knife fighting that was going on in that show between the rival gangs. And he went with a friend, and they started collecting switchblades. He had some really big knives, and he would smuggle them back uh, to his house and hide them from his father. Um, but what I think is a very important about them is that they're 
their switchblades because you can just push a button and they come right out. And that's how his mind is like. He's a switchblade attacker psychologically. He likes to cut people. He's a very sharp thinker. And and he is very quick at the put-down and at the ability to find uh, that, that his uh, knives are almost symbolic of his ability to give people uh, nasty nicknames, his ability to constantly attack. But they're sharp, they're pointed, they're hidden because he because they're inside of the of the knife itself, and then he pushes a button and they come out. He has very long switchblades, and eventually his father discovered the knife collection, and that's when he finally sent him away to military school. Uh, the significance is it is also <clears throat> to me, it's a message that he may not be giving out loud all the time, but it's certainly clear in the book that you cannot trust him, that he is secretive, that he is dangerous, and that he will do anything to protect himself, including stabbing whoever comes near him. He is uh, a a very frightened person, and yet uh, very uh, tricky and impulsive. So the knives are, you know, obviously they're cutting and... uh, they're, you know, at one level as a Freudian, they're castrating and cutting off the father's uh, penis and all of those things. But that's old school. And basically, this is about self-protection and stabbing people. You, I believe I read a quote um, in your book that I have to assume that I misunderstood. Um, when you made the reference, I thought you made the reference to um, him at the age of 18 claiming that his psychological development stopped 10 years prior. I I misunderstood that, right? No. I think every once in a while he has a glimmering of self-awareness, that he feels that he was... uh, exactly the same. He's really fundamentally sees himself as unchanged since he was a child, that the world has not changed him. It's only confirmed his preconceptions. It's only confirmed what he believes. Most people can be changed by experience, uh, hopefully, and uh, can grow. But uh, in his case, he has preconceptions, his belief system that the world is dangerous, his uh, need to lie, uh, his destructive uh, part of his personality and his his fear of others and his need to bully are the same as they ever were. There's nothing changed. Um, and so when he says that, I thought it was one of the few moments of insight. He said a couple of them that I actually quote in the book because they're so few and far between. But when he has them, they're quite remarkable. He's also said he didn't want to do psychotherapy ever because he was afraid of what he might find out about himself. And I think that was a very insightful comment. But for the most part, he, uh, when he was eight, he was in a world where um, he needed to be protected, and he needed to protect himself. Um, The other thing about an eight-year-old is that they are pseudo-independent, but they always know they're going to be have a fantasy of being rescued. And I think he's always felt that somebody was going to rescue him, even though he uh, tried to behave otherwise. And his father really did rescue him when he was an adult and had various bankruptcies. So, so you didn't misunderstand. I, I, I think it's a, 
It's a shock that he could be that insightful. I, I want to misunderstand. You're, you're <laughs> saying that, that the country is being led by an eight-year-old. I don't want to yes. understand that. Well, it is. It is what's so terrifying is that the country is being led by an eight-year-old, and he's the most powerful eight-year-old in the world, and you don't let an eight-year-old even drive a car, let alone uh, give them uh, the, the, the financial uh, responsibility of doing family investing when you're eight years old. And he also has nuclear weapons. I mean, he is the most powerful man, and he has the mentality of an eight-year-old, which is very much a black-and-white thinker, either-or. It's win or lose. Who's better? Who's worse? Compromise equals defeat. Those are very dangerous things. They're important and necessary in development. Eight-year-olds go through a phase where they really start thinking about right and wrong, uh, trying to organize their mind by dividing it up into different categories so they can uh, think about good and bad, but they move past that into complexity, into ambivalence, into learning that you can love and hate the same person, uh, learning about getting along in the world. But he never really uh, got to those uh, positions. I mean, he does know how to you know, tie his shoes, and he does know how to talk to people, and he's personable on a one-on-one -on -one, uh, basis. But he is this, uh, and that's because he's learned uh, to be sort of a showman and uh, and in some ways be charming. What, but, yeah. What, what kind of father do you imagine him to be with his youngest son? I think he's a father who has just, his focus is on appearance, on being quiet, on being behaved, on looking good, on not speaking, and he is very critical. Anything that's out of the ordinary or anything that is spontaneous for the child is immediately attacked. I just think he would be possibly the worst father you could ever imagine having, um, <clears throat> who's not a raging alcoholic, although he sounds like a dry drunk in some ways. I mean, he really is... Uh, a dangerous, I would call him a dangerous father. He has slapped his older children, knocked one of them down in college when he was upset with the with the son's clothes. He came to visit him and he he decked him in, in the dorm, in the hallway of the dorm that somebody saw him do. So that's in the book too. I mean, he really is uh, a very violent guy uh, sitting on top of a lot of rage. I would not want him for a father. He sounds like uh, or to be a father like him either. He he sounds like he'd be a pretty scary husband. He'd be a very scary husband. I think that you could never cross him, never disappoint him. And uh, he really insisted at home on having uh, the dinner on the table at 6.30. He would fly into a rage if it was five minutes late. Uh, he really was a tyrant at home uh, with Ivana, who... He did feel close to in lots of ways until she, uh, this is his first wife, until she um, got a job and started working in one of his uh, places. She worked at the Plaza Hotel and began to manage it, and she was doing a better job and more invested in doing that than, uh, than even he was. And I think that he was quite threatened by her autonomy and got very angry at her for being so strong. So he wants a wife to be subservient to be quiet, to do what he wants. He wants them to look good. He gets loses interest in them. Uh, they are functions. They're sexual objects. 
Um, and there's not a lot of compassion from him uh, for anybody, really, a little bit towards his daughter. But uh, even that is disturbing. I think the biggest thing for me about the lying, though, is the grandiosity. Because what you do is when you're compensating uh, for feeling inadequate, you end up making yourself uh, feel that you're omnipotent and omniscient. And um, there was a uh, little bit in the book about what's called the God Complex, which is something that was written about 100 years ago by uh, Ernest Jones, a psychoanalyst. And he talked about the omniscience of being able to predict the future, the feeling that you know what's going to happen and you can predict all the things that are going to happen. And, of course, that's something that Trump has done a lot of. This is going to be the best this, the best that. Uh, I can do this and I can do that. And these are people who have been able to get away with lies. They feel they can fool anybody. The only person he could never fool was his father. And he tried to fool him, too. The reason why he's so afraid of Mueller, by the way, is because I think unconsciously Mueller is a person who we can't fool. At least he thinks that. And I think that he is afraid of him in the same way he was afraid of his father. He acts like he's afraid of Mueller, but l- yes. let, me, let me ask you this. You, you've talked about the, the rage that he's sitting on, the danger that he represents not only to himself but others in the country, and yet there are people who say that the vice president, Pence, would actually be worse than Trump. W- what's that about? Well, I think that one of the things that's, okay about Trump. Nothing is okay, and it's not normal. But the only thing that could be possibly okay, which I'm sometimes struck by, that people are shocked by him, to me, he's the same as he's always been. And uh, he's easily understood and seen. And I think that you know what you're dealing with and who you're dealing with. I think a lot of people still don't quite get that. But with Pence, Pence is has does a lot of the same things that Trump does plus he has very deep seated feelings about uh homosexuals about right and wrong about abortion about things that Trump doesn't have any beliefs in he just you know and goes along with whatever he's supposed to believe in but Pence is a very dangerous ideologically religiously driven person and in some ways uh that makes him extremely uh disturbing the possibility of him being president um he is uh, also a liar but i think that he's a little bit secretly crazier i haven't really studied him enough but he he has some secret uh uh, disturbing characteristics with his religious beliefs. Uh, somebody just called him the other day the Jesus Whisperer, which I thought was pretty good. And he's so I think that he is could be worse. Other people prefer him just because he looks sane and he's not going to you know be riling people up all the time. Doctor Frank, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, okay. we will continue. Okay.
Dr. Frank, given the multiple significant concerns that you share in Trump on the couch that are too numerous for to talk, us to talk about within the time frame that we have available to us, what can we do? What is your prediction for our future as a country with our current president? That's a very hard thing to predict the future, but I do think there's some things we can do. Uh, first of all, some of it's been done already, and that is all of the new people who've run for office, all of the women who ran in 2018, all of the uh, different uh, groups of people who've been uh, more outspoken. Those are people who have realized that Trump will not change and cannot change. And I think too often people are busy counting his lies, thinking about this, being shocked. Oh, I can't believe he's this insensitive. I can't believe, like yesterday in his speech, I can't believe <clears throat> he didn't even mention all the uh, the uh, people affected by the shutdown and the furloughed people. He didn't even say he's sorry that they're suffering or anything. Um, he just went right on to his paranoid rants about, you know, Mexicans coming in from south of the border. So I think that people need to accept that he cannot change. So the question is, what do you do with a person who cannot change and who's dangerous? Well, you have to find some way to quarantine them or to not let them um, affect you. And the problem is, uh, from my perspective, is he has too many uh, co-conspirators with the entire Republican Party who refuse to stand up to him and just say enough is enough and stop it. Uh, you can't make him stop things, but you can control a president. I mean, impeaching, removing him from office is obviously the best thing to do, uh, but it's hard to wait until 2020 uh, for the election because I do think that he's uh, constantly uh, a danger. <clears throat> And I think that the future of this country uh, depends on, at least at one level, on, on stopping him and on people getting the courage to face him. But the second thing is that people need to recognize why he has such a big following. And I do think that some of the big following he has has to do with the wish for so many of us that uh, we could break things and not feel helpless and feel like it's it's time to tear down some of the uh, the elites and the, and the people who pretend to care but really don't about the working uh, people and he really uh, uh, taps into a lot of rage and suspicion that is really part of this country and I, the the concern I have about the future is that uh, we'll become even more divided than we are where where there's going to be groups of people who can't talk together, can't listen together. but So I'm concerned about the future. But I think that um, it's very essential for people to recognize that he cannot change. He cannot stop lying. He lies to himself. He lies to us. And now he really lies in order to survive uh, because he knows that uh, things are closing in on him in some ways with the Mueller investigation. But he, uh, and I think that's the biggest thing, that people have to stop whining and complaining about him and the liberals have to stop being shocked by him. Um, it's not, nothing is shocking here. It's who he is. 
and he really is an eight-year-old. And when you said, you know, it's, you know, who wants to have a country run by an eight-year-old? I certainly don't. You certainly don't. And it's and it's the time to just keep talking about it. Um, some people talk about how to deal with him and cope with him. One of them is to ignore some of the things he says, and that's hard to do when he's the president of the United States. But there are ways of of managing him and not giving him uh, the pulpit, the bully bully pulpit all the time. Like, for instance, even yesterday's speech, one could argue that it was done at the same time as the Women's March in order to distract from that. And he's done that before. When there's some news of some new event or something, he schedules a conference or schedules some kind of meeting uh, or a speech as a way of distracting from something that the Democrats are doing or women are doing. And he's always done that because he really wants to keep attention away from things. It's not only because he needs attention. And people need to not be sucked in by that. It's hard because the media makes money off of him because everybody uh, watches, and so they get better uh, ratings, I guess, if they show him all the time. Dr. Frank, where can someone go to get more information about Trump on the couch? Okay, Trump on the Couch has a website called TrumpOnTheCouch.com. I have a website called JustinAFrankMD.com, and I write blogs. I write for various uh, uh, places often in the Huffington Post and, and various places. But Trump on the Couch has been reviewed in various uh, papers, and you can read about it uh, in a variety of places, uh, The Guardian and Salon and those places. Terrific. Dr. Frank, thank you so much for spending time with us today. And, of course, we will have to have you back. I would love it. Thank you. Thank you again. And, folks, thank you for joining us on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service, and it is not intended to replace any work that you might choose to do with a medical, mental health, or other professional. Mind Talk is produced by Jim Brown and 26 by 2 Communications. Don't forget to go to the Mind Talk web page. You can listen to Mind Talk on demand from there and several other platforms. You can also sign up for the free weekly giveaway and for the weekly for the daily program guide. That's M Y N D T A L K dot O R G and remember always if it is unacceptable, it's unacceptable. You take care. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.